0: Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit TimbleBibleChurch.org. All right, I want to introduce you to the prophet Ezekiel this morning with two words, two words that really endear me to this man. The words are bitter. And crazy. You've got, you've got a, a sheet in front of you. You can write some notes on this. Why in the world would Ezekiel be bitter? Well, we learn in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, that Ezekiel was taken into exile by Babylon in the second wave of exiles after Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And they were settled by the Chebar Canal around 597 B.C., before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 586 B.C. Ezekiel left a pretty privileged life in Jerusalem. He was expecting to be a priest like his father, but he was called by God to be a prophet to an exiled and belligerent people. So like Ahab here in Moby Dick, he takes on a seemingly impossible task to speak to a people whom God says will never listen to him. Look at chapter 2. I want you to open your Bibles. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Ezekiel said, And God said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. Skip down to verse 6. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. I think I might be a little bitter if I got that word. He said, God said, if I was sending you to foreigners, they might listen to you. But guess what? I'm not. I'm sending you to your own people. In chapter 3, verse 7, he said, the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. So, as this really tender act of mercy, God does something really unique for Ezekiel. He lays out this scroll before him with writing on the front and the back of it, but not happy words. These are words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And then he tells Ezekiel to eat the scroll. You want me to what? I think I would have said, eat the scroll. But miraculously to Ezekiel, as he ate it, the words tasted as sweet as honey. He would need that sweetness to cut the bitterness. Because look down in chapter 3, verse 13. We read, the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to some exiles. And I sat where they were dwelling, deeply distressed, for seven days. I love the humanity of this guy. I think I'll just sit here, bitter and sad, for seven days. And God doesn't chastise him. God God lets him sit there. But he doesn't leave him there. He lets him process. And then in verse 16, it says, At the end of those seven days... The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. And to do that, God is going to ask Ezekiel to do some really crazy things. Now over time, I think he seemed crazier and crazier, kind of like Jack's slow fade in The Shining. If any of you have seen that movie? Here's just a short list of the things he was asked to do as living sermons. If eating a scroll wasn't enough already, at the end of chapter 3, it says that he was literally bound and tongue-tied before the people of Israel, before God comes in and literally opens his mouth and gives him the words to speak. Then in chapter 4, to describe the future siege of Jerusalem, he had to cook a funky bread over a fire of manure and eat it every day for more than a year. 390 of those days, he's going to be laying on one side while he's cooking the food and eating the bread. And then he's going to flip over to the other side for 40 more days while he does this. I mean, this is nuts, you guys. (laughs) On another occasion in chapter 5, he was asked to cut off his hair. He had to burn one third of it chop up another third of it, and then scatter the other third into the wind. What? And then in chapter 24, he was commanded, this one really breaks my heart, not to mourn, weep, or cry when his beloved wife died. He could sigh, but he couldn't sigh aloud. This was to be a sign to the people that the temple was about to be destroyed. It's crazy, right? All of these things are crazy. Maybe this was the only way for God to get the the attention of an impudent and stubborn people exiled in Babylon. Well, back in chapter 1, verse 1, Ezekiel introduced himself saying that the heavens were opened up and I saw visions of God. Well, this book has a lot of crazy to choose from, but for the rest of our time together this morning... I want us to focus on four unique visions of the Holy Spirit that were given to Ezekiel by God. The ones that we will talk about gave great hope to this obstinate, disobedient, deeply discouraged, mournful people of Israel. And I hope that they're going to give us the same kind of hope this morning. So we will learn about the Holy Spirit this morning. The Spirit who is able to move. From temple to heart in chapters 1 and 10. The spirit who's able to soften hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh in chapter 36. The spirit who's able to enliven dead bones by bringing them to life and giving them great purpose. And then the spirit who is able to enable flourishing in this new everlasting temple in chapters 43 to 48. So, let's start this morning with the spirit who can move. In Ezekiel 1, we saw this amazing otherworldly picture of God's glory. I hope you spent a considerable amount of time trying to talk about it this morning in your groups. I think this picture up on the screen does a good job of giving this vision some shape and some dimension that can be very helpful so that we can try to figure out what in the world it's talking about. Now remember, chapter 1, verse 28, Ezekiel said that this is the likeness of the glory of the Lord. I think it's honestly too grand for him to try to describe in words. It was something he had never seen before, but he is going to give it his very best attempt for us this morning. So on this picture, I want you to see how the central feature is the throne at the top of the picture. This beautiful throne with a human likeness a God-man representing Jesus who is seated there on the throne. He's encased in fire, and brightness is all around him, so much so that there's like a rainbow above him. But he's held up by this expanse or this platform. This picture helped me to envision it. So what in the world is this expanse? I want us to think about it a minute this morning. Let's consider Genesis 1 and 2 and see if this gives us some perspective on this. Back in Genesis 1, 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, God, the Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. And then when you get to to chapter 1, verse 6 of Genesis, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate waters from waters. And God made the expanse, and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, where the Spirit of God was hovering. And it was so, in verse 8, and God called the expanse heaven. So back to Ezekiel 1, 1, This expanse, perhaps separating heaven and earth here, is supported by these crazy, part human, part animal, angelic beings. They have wings and they have wheels. I don't know how how all this works, but I know that together, these wings and wheels can move the glory of the Lord in any direction. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. It says, wherever the spirit would go, they went. And they moved this whole apparatus together. The sights and sounds that were associated with this movement were so awe-inspiring that Ezekiel says that when he saw it, when he heard it, he fell on his face. And he heard the voice of God speaking to him. Well, later in chapter 10, Ezekiel sees this exact same image again, describing it almost word for word in chapter 10, verses 9 through 17, but then saying that it was residing in the house or the temple of God. But then in verse 18, flip over to chapter 10, verse 18. It says, Ezekiel says, then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and it stood over the cherubim and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my very eyes as they went out and the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord and the glory of God, of the God of Israel was over them. And then in verse 22, and they went out straight forward. So this is really important. The glory of the Lord, the spirit that had resided in the temple in Jerusalem, was on the move. It was leaving. It was about to leave. Why would this need to be said to these exiles in Babylon? Well, Jerusalem was about to lay siege to Jerusalem and destroy Solomon's temple. This is where they thought the glory of God resided. And so Ezekiel is preparing the people for this trauma by reassuring them that the glory of the Lord could not and would not be destroyed. The Spirit was on the move, and it was moving eastward toward them. They are in Babylon. They're towards the east. So the Spirit would be this great agent of hope for Judah, and I hope for us this morning. Well, in chapter 36... Ezekiel reveals a word of hope again to this weary and exiled Judah. A day is coming, he says, in verse 23, chapter 36, when God is going to vindicate the holiness of his great name, which Judah has profaned. On that day, he says, he's going to gather them from the nations and bring them into their own land. You shall dwell in the land I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Did you see that in verses 26 and 27? God's Spirit will no longer reside in a man-made temple, but God's Spirit is going to move into their hearts. He's going to reside in them, and that Spirit is going to be able to soften hearts of stone and make them into hearts of flesh. Now, some of you know that while I am the women's ministry leader here, I'm also a physical therapist. And when I think about this heart of stone, I'm always reminded of my very first real patient on my very first clinical rotation during physical therapy school. She had a condition called scleroderma. Scleroderma is a rare chronic autoimmune disease that causes the skin and the internal organs to thicken and harden. And I was heartbroken because my first patient had a very severe case of this disease, and her physical heart was literally turning to stone. And because her heart wasn't functioning well, her whole body was affected, and her her condition would eventually cause her death. And so I felt very helpless, very hopeless to do anything about it. Well, Ezekiel wasn't talking about this kind of a heart. He was metaphorically describing the soul, the very essence of who we are. But the condition that Ezekiel described is even more heartbreaking than my patient. When your soul becomes hardened, it affects everything about you. Your thoughts, your behaviors, your attitudes, all become very self-centered and self-gratifying. God's law either becomes this checklist of rules that you must follow in order to get something from God, or you see his law as unloving and desirable and you quit following it altogether. A tender relationship with the Father is nowhere to be found in a hardened heart, a hardened soul. But a beating heart, like this one you see on the screen, this this one is literally life-giving, It pumps oxygenated blood to every tissue in the body, enabling the body to function without much effort. It's really a miracle. When Ezekiel says that God is going to give Judah, and God is going to give us a heart of flesh, he's saying that one day very soon, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to become the life source of the souls for all who trust in God. Jesus said of this Spirit in John chapter 16, 7 and 8, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit was one day going to come to convict people of sin like you and me and enable us to walk in the statutes of God and to follow his laws and rules naturally from hearts that are overflowing with grace and mercy. What a beautiful image that God allowed Ezekiel to see and to give to Judah and to us. But it didn't stop there. The Spirit was going to do even crazier things. In chapter 37... Ezekiel describes another vision of hope to these people who are ready to give up. They are Jews who felt dead. They felt purposeless as exiles in Babylon. And the Spirit is going to bring these spiritually dead people back to life and give them great purpose. So perhaps Ezekiel's vision in, chapters 30, in chapter 37 verses 1 through 10 looked something like this.
1: Led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me,
0: Can you imagine what this vast army of them would have looked like? I really hope they were wearing some clothes. (laughs) I think they probably were. (laughs) I love that vision, that imagery in the video of the breath coming into the man. The Hebrew word for breath there is the same word for the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God that breathed that army to life, and it's the spirit that would bring Judah back to life, the same spirit that would raise Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that is now alive in us together in this room. Let's keep reading in Ezekiel 37 verse 11. Then God said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Skip down to verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So this was a vision very specific to this exiled people who whom God promised he would restore with a covenant of peace. They would get to return to Israel after 70 years of exile. They would get to rebuild the temple again, a much smaller one than Solomon's temple. He would dwell with them right there in Jerusalem again, and he would give them purpose. But Ezekiel is speaking about something that was to come hundreds of years later as well. When God would come and make his sanctuary right here in our midst, God himself would dwell with us. Emmanuel that we sang about earlier. John 1, verse 14 says, And the word, Jesus himself, became flesh and tabernacled among us. He brought the temple or the tabernacle right into our midst. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So not only would Christ dwell with us in human form, but by his Spirit, he would make us, the church, his living, breathing army on earth, just like we saw in Ezekiel. And what would our army marching orders be? Well, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 tells us, Jesus charged us, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So just like Ezekiel said, to make known among the nations that the Lord is the one who sanctifies Israel and who welcomes Gentiles in like you and me into the kingdom of God. So this leads us to the final vision of Ezekiel in chapters 43 to 48, where Ezekiel sees a vision of the glory of the Lord one day entering a final temple, not a man-made temple, a temple built by God, a place where the Spirit of God will dwell with and enable flourishing with his people forever and ever. So let's look at chapter 43, verse 2. I saw the glory of God, of the God of Israel, coming from the east. Remember, it left towards the east, now it's coming back from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters. I love that idea, thinking back to the expanse. The roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. Verse 4, the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So Ezekiel is seeing something that looks like a temple. The glory of the Lord is filling it again. Verse 10 says that Ezekiel is to describe what he sees to the people of Israel so that they will be ashamed of their sins. This is really interesting. They're to consider this perfection. This is something different, new. It's a new kind of a temple. They're supposed to consider this perfection as a source of future hope. It's not going to be something made by man. It's going to be something built by God. Then he gets really specific with a bunch of specifications. He talks about an altar to be restored, the priesthood to be restored, and the dimensions of this temple. So it's sounding like a man-made temple. But then you get to chapter 47, and something really unique happens. Water is now flowing from the temple. I like this little picture of it, just imagining it. Water is coming out of the gates of the temple and flowing down now into this temple that looks like a garden, that's like a city. And and at the bottom of the river, there's great flourishing. This is so cool if you look at verse 47 of chapter, I mean, chapter one, verse one of chapter 47. Can't get that right. Look at that together with me. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Verse two, he then brought me "'out through the north gate and led me around the outside "'to the outer gate facing east, "'and the water was trickling from the south side. "'Then he led me to the bank of the river.'" Verse 7, "'When I arrived there, "'I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. "'He said to me, "'This water flows toward the eastern region "'and it goes down where it enters the Dead Sea. "'When it empties into the sea, "'the salty water there becomes fresh.'" So cool. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Look at verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And then all the way to chapter 48, verse 35, he gets to the end of this big long description and he says, the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. So I want us to think for just a minute about what Ezekiel has, what we've seen so far with Ezekiel regarding the spirit of God. First, it has left the temple in Jerusalem, that temple that will be destroyed. It's going to dwell in the hearts of God's people, where it will enable hard hearts to become softened so that they will want to follow God's law. It's going to breathe life into them, into these spiritually dead people. It's going to make them into a kingdom army. And it's, and it's still doing those two things. The Spirit is breathing life into us, softening our hearts, making us into a kingdom army. And then finally, one day in the future that has not been yet, it will return to this new God, God-centered temple, this city filled with God's people, where the water of life is no longer separated by that expanse of the heaven. But it now flows freely, causing flourishing of wildlife and trees and fruit. Now John gives us a really cool similar vision in Revelation 21 and 22. We had to look this up in our homework. I love, look at chapter 21 of Revelation verses 22 and 23. John says, And I saw no temple in the city. For the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So there's no longer a temple. God is the temple. He's dwelling in this city that looks like a garden. And then chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, just like the expanse was crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Remember, their foreheads used to be hard. Now they have the name of God on them, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So the vision of Ezekiel's temple reminded Judah and reminds us that God does not forsake his people, and that one day his relationship with us will be elevated to this new, never-before-conceived glory, and intimacy. I hope that's cause for hope this morning. So what in the world does all this mean for us? Is there an application for us today? I think so. I think Ezekiel's visions actually help us to understand an important part of the gospel together this morning. In this great gospel exchange, we know that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross but what we forget sometimes is that he did that so that he could leave his spirit his very righteousness in us together as the church so let's think about that together in christ the church is the temple of the holy spirit and he continues to move in and through us 1 corinthians 3:16 says Don't you know that you all, y'all, plural, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in y'all? Don't you know that? Isn't that amazing, Paul says? And then, as this Spirit is in all of us together this morning, as he moves in us, he's doing something pretty cool. He's writing God's law on our hearts. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 and 16 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We get to understand that, not on our own, together. And then verse 16 encourages us, we have the very mind of Christ. And then together, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says something even crazier. We now all of us are becoming living letters. 2 Corinthians 3, 3, Paul says, And you all, y'all, show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So then, as God's church, we are a Spirit-led army of resurrected dead people, Unleashed on mission with God. Paul gives us more kind of army like language in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, when he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Together put on the full armor of God so that you all can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then while we wait for Christ's return, we aren't just sitting here twiddling our thumbs. We are agents of flourishing for our world. Jesus said in John 15 verse 16, "You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that will last." And then Paul describes that fruit in Galatians 5:22 and 23, as the spirit's fruit, not our fruit. but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against those things there is no law it's written on our hearts so paul ends that section galatians 5:25 with a charge if we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit and that's my charge for us this morning as we leave this place let's walk out of here today in step with the spirit moving where the Spirit leads us, allowing the Spirit to soften our hearts and to make us into living letters, unified in purpose as the Spirit-filled army of God that he's declared us to be. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for what you have shown us in Ezekiel. It's crazy. We don't understand it. It's, It's beyond what we can even ask or imagine, but we know, God, that you do that you give us more than we can ask or imagine. So we find great comfort, great hope in this vision that you gave to Ezekiel regarding your spirit. God, thank you for breathing life into us, for making us into an army of resurrected dead people. And God, would you give us courage now to go forth and to speak as you call us to, to engage in the in the the relationships that you lead us to. God, would you be glorified in our lives together as we leave this place. We give you all glory and thanks in Jesus' name, amen.